Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Dropkick Podcast. This is our fifth episode, and we just want to thank the people supporting us. And it's been a crazy, unbelievable week for me and Vikram and the podcast. And today we have a special guest with us. He's a former WWE Cruiserweight champion. He was the winner of WWE's Cruiserweight Classic. He's a former TNA X Division champion. And he had Evolve, Evolve Wrestling's Breakout Match of the Year in 2010. Right, so please welcome TJP, a.k.a. TJ Perkins. How, how have you been handling your time in quarantine, man? Um, I, mostly normal for me. I haven't really had to quarantine very much or anything. I, <laughs> I still get out and, and do, do all the normal stuff. I, I'm still traveling, still visiting family and friends and stuff. So, yeah. The home workouts and the pizza diets like you had on your Instagram? Oh, I love <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's just, yeah, this is just me kind of having some fun. I mean, life for me is mostly not that different. I, I don't really go out very much anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, and everywhere I will go, I still go. You know, I don't really stay in the house. If I want to go to the store, I go to the store. and I go visit family. Uh, I'll fly or whatever if I want to visit friends or something like that. Um, I built a gym in my house a few years back, so... That was one of the better investments I ever kind of did. So, like, mm-hmm. now I, I haven't really had any trouble as far as, like, you know, not missing any beat as far as, like, training or anything like that. Um, sure. And otherwise, I mean, you know, I normally wouldn't go out very much. I don't really, like, I don't drink or, or do drugs or anything. I don't, like, go to bars or nothing. So, usually I spend my days playing video games, like, in my office anyway. So, it's, <laughs> it's not Well, what really have you been playing recently? Um, Let's see. I actually got my – because I'm in my office right now. I got my – playstation up on my desk oh um, nice usually every day is overwatch i'll play a lot of overwatch a lot of fortnite um uh a lot of predator since it just came out um battlefront yeah, 2 fire pro uh, i just finished uh, resident evil 2 the two mm-hmm. different stories so i'm gonna start three pretty soon dead by daylight nba 2k mlb a little bit of everything and fire pro is a great show. game yeah, yeah, love Fire Pro. Yeah, I yeah. just started streaming on my uh, Twitch channel again recently, and um, uh, my, the first game I did, uh, first day back was Fire Pro. I did, I did a day, yeah. <laughs> and the whole stream was with Fire Pro matches. Yeah. Where, where Still. can everybody find you on Twitch? Uh, same as pretty much all my socials are all at uh, MegaTJP, so you could find me at Twitch uh, TV slash MegaTJP. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure to check that out, everybody. Sure. Um, so for a lot of people, a lot of people, especially in the mainstream who only pay attention to mainstream wrestling, their first eyes were on you in 2016 when WWE introduced the Cruiserweight Classic and revitalized the Cruiserweight division. So throughout that tournament, you were the winner, which is a very large accolade. Um, what would you say is the favorite match that you had during the Cruiserweight Classic? Ooh, good question. Um... You know, I rewatched a few of the matches recently. Is all not the first time, but maybe only like the second time I'd seen them back. I don't really watch a lot of my stuff back, but the I um, I was picking out a few for a friend of mine um, who was like studying some things. He had, he had some questions, mm-hmm. similar questions, I guess. But um, and I I think in retrospect, I really liked the the Gargano match. Maybe that was really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was very good. Yeah, I mean, all, all the matches I had every round, I, I kind of had to play quarterback on. But, like, that particular one, just there, there's a lot 
kind of going on there's a lot of different like narratives to the match and so like i felt like it accomplished a lot and uh, <laughs> you know he's he's a really he's a really talented opponent you know uh, uh we, sure. we're very similar in the way we approach it so you know it's a lot of fun when you can get in with a guy like that but i mean i i really liked all of them um obviously the abushi match is like i guess super... maybe the the more iconic one of maybe mm-hmm. the whole tournament i guess you know um and uh and for me that that for me that was really big because i kind of sealed the the impression of me for for the office and the administration because they, mm-hmm. they saw what i was capable of and you know i guess it kind of validated the position they were putting me in so yeah sure. uh speaking of the office and administration i actually saw your interview with chris van vliet not too long ago and you said when you won the cruiserweight title you weren't even signed did you consider pulling a medusa on the whole thing (laughs) no i um yeah i wasn't signed i i didn't they didn't have my contract fedex to me until like a few days before the pay-per-view the next week because i I did clash of the champions the, the next week oh yeah um so yeah i mean i that i i laugh a lot of times like when um like, cause you know, a lot of like diehard fans are like conspiracy theorists. <laughs> so, you know, like, um, Can I say? and a lot of them, like they, they were like, well, you know, TJ was the safe bet. I was the least safe bet. I not, I remember we all got our contract offers the same night, same room. We all sat in the theater at full sale. I, I remember it was like, I don't know, one of the middle rounds after the first or second round, every, all of us, Zach, Abushi, all, everybody included. And, uh, I remember, talking like zach's a good friend of mine i remember talking to zach and he was not really sure about it i know that he really wanted to get back to new japan and mm-hmm. when i got out of tna i really wanted to go back to japan and mexico and i really wanted to um to try and be part of the lucha underground show that was going on at yeah. the time you know so I, I thought that that was a really uh cool project that had started and it turned into this really good thing that they did for a few seasons and um i had always wanted to do a show like that when it came up i was like wow this is like a dream come true Jeez, i knew it wasn't yeah. gonna last forever but yeah it was something at the time i really wanted to do and uh i when they first asked me i i told them i i didn't say yes right away i had to think about it and mm-hmm. like i kind of told them like i kind of said i didn't say no but i kind of said no like because i i told him i i really would like to do the show and i mm-hmm. really kind of wanted to go back to japan and mexico and I, i've been in tna for four years i was in ring of like um i didn't know if they really wanted me there you know so when they mm-hmm. made the offer so you, i didn't really know so right. like there was a ton of guys that were way <laughs> way safer <laughs> bet than me because i didn't take it right away i said i gotta go home and think about this and I kind of gave it a day or two and Regal really kind of changed my, my, uh, my perspective on that. He talked me into it he said, you know, you're getting older, you've reached an age where you should settle down and stop <laughs> bouncing around so much. So everybody, yeah. anybody who enjoyed my time there, like should really thank Regal. Cause he kind of pulled me aside by the shirt sleeve and was like, listen, I, I don't want to see you like turn this down or anything. So mm-hmm. you should really, you should really do this. So. Yeah, speaking of uh, William Regal, um, how did you feel when you won the Cruiserweight Classic and when Triple H and William Regal came down to congratulate you on that big milestone of your uh, career, I should say, how big did, how big did that feel for you? Um, I mean, it was cool, but like that part felt a little bit more theatrical because um, mm-hmm. after every round, they, they were all waiting behind the curtain for me. Um, mm-hmm. so that that was and that was new to me like usually my experience is going to wwe as a younger wrestler 
they didn't care about you. Right. <laughs> you know, I, you, you <laughs> might as well have been garbage to them most of the time. That's just how they, they kind of make you feel. So it was really weird to me that they babied me a lot. Like mm-hmm. when I, the first day in with all the meetings, like, I mean, I couldn't have been a worse, like, model citizen. I mean, like, I wasn't like a behavioral problem, but like I would show up late or like I wasn't always paying attention mm-hmm. to the media. Like, I didn't take it that seriously. I knew I had the foresight to know that the tournament was going to be a, a big landmark for wrestling history but Mm -hmm. i didn't think that i had a place there going forward after that i just said i'll do this and then i'll probably end up back in mexico or i'll probably go back to new japan or something like that um and i mean you know i i would be late for a meeting and they would usher me into a back room and like here we're gonna catch you up on everything and i'm I'm like why are you guys treating me so like important yeah it's weird um, yeah sure it was, it was like the Twilight Zone. And so, like, after every match, you know, um, Hunter, Regal, Sean had just started working there um, mm-hmm. before people really knew that he was coming in to coach and to be a producer. Like, uh, Shawn Michaels would be waiting there to Norman Smiley, Terry Taylor, like, a lot of the more important people um, mm-hmm. in the system. And they were always waiting for me in the back just to give me encouragement or advice or if there's, you know, whatever. And they're always at making sure I was happy with what I did and everything. Mm-hmm. And I was... So when they came out at the end, I remember thinking, I'm like, now everybody gets to see what they do to me every, <laughs> after every match. Like they, they like baby me and give me hugs and stuff and make sure that I'm happy. Great, man, yeah. But it was cool. I mean, you know, like you, you spend so many times, like I said, you go there and, and uh, you feel like there's no validation in what you're doing. So when you, you know, life and all that, it's not fair. Like, it, and it's yeah. never going to be. So, like, you know, you have moments where you spend years where it's not fair to you. And then when you get in a moment where now you're benefiting from it, you, it feels nice because it feels like you went through a lot of crap just to be able to at least just get, so you to get see there. The other, yeah. Even if even if it's just brief, you get to see the other side of the of the of the for coin, sure. you know, for a little bit. So it was it was nice. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, jumping ship, um, what did you think about your run in TNA uh, suicide? Do you feel like you stepped up since then? and mentally grew as a person what were some of the challenges you faced like was it hard to breathe in that mask or (laughs) (laughs) i actually posted this picture recently because somebody asked me the same question it was hard to see um or Mm. they asked me what it was like i said it was like being waterboarded which that is what it's like it's crazy it's so bad so it's like being suffocated and um um, and then they asked if you could see and I, i took a picture from like it's like what it looks like through the through the eye screens right. and like you can't if i hold my hand up like this i can't see how many fingers i could see my hand there but i uh-huh. can't see, can't the, see the fingers yeah yeah so like if i'm running to like the ropes and i want to like jump on the ropes i can just see kind of a blur of blue i don't really know exactly oh, where the ropes are i just know when oh, i'm getting wow. close to them that's um yeah. yeah i mean that that and i expressed that at the time so i mean that's something that we kind of worked around and troubleshooted but i mean i enjoyed my time as a character it is sort of um, ironic because when they first were brainstorming the characters back in 2008, and I was there before as Puma, and yeah. when I was there as Puma, I remember being in Houston. We're at the a pay-per-view in Houston, and we we're in the locker room, and Frankie Kazarian came back and was super disappointed, and he's like, they just pitched me this new character, and I don't want to do it. And mm-hmm. he had just started being able to kind of come into his own and be himself. And, I, right. you know, I, I think everybody that portrayed suicide did a great job. But like a lot of those guys, they're, they're and my, myself included, were, everybody was better off as what they wanted to themselves, be. Themselves, right. Yeah. And I felt in his case, this was really his time to do that. 
and mm-hmm. we joked as a group like we should just have tj do it because he's already in a mask <laughs> and i laughed off the, Haha, yeah yeah that'd be great and that, i think i i was done with tna for like a few years after that and i didn't think anything of it and mm-hmm. so frankie and, and daniels were suicide off and on a little bit for a few years when i came back it just they they brought me back again as Puma. They didn't have an idea for me, and they mm-hmm. I sat at home for a few weeks. I saw the bumpers, and I, and I called the office. And I said, "Well, I don't know what you want me to do going forward, but if you need somebody to do that character for like a show, I know you're bringing it back for like one night only. I'll do mm-hmm. it." And they said, yeah, "Okay, yeah, this, that yeah that that'd be a great idea, and we'll see we'll see what we can do with you going forward." Mm-hmm. And they just when I get I mean. I, I think I was, I portrayed it in the way they had always envisioned it being. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody before was more of a heavyweight. And I think they always wanted that sort of Spider-Man, Deadpool, yeah. comic book type of action. And and like, I, I'm a little bit more versatile in, as far as the balance of styles. The other guys have, you know, they, they have more of a specific style in the way they work. And so I feel like they, they got what they never thought they would have so once i did it once they're like you're you gotta like keep, you gotta keep yeah. doing it. but i yeah. liked it you know i enjoyed it a lot uh, and i think now looking back i appreciate it more because there's when you think of like th- like if you made a short list of things that's sort of like iconic images for i mean any company you think of wcw you think of sting you know sting, you think yeah. of sting you think of hollywood hogan you think of kevin nash the nwo um when you think of tna i mean you think of aj obviously you know, you, you probably think of Jeff Jarrett, you know, you think of the ultimate X or like the six side of ring, the impact zone. And yeah. I think suicide is on that list. You know, it's a yeah. Yeah. synonymous Absolutely. with that. And so to have been like the more prominent one was, you know, to me that that was that's, that's awesome. great. Like, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um. So would you say there's anything that you regret so far throughout your pro wrestling career? Um. I don't know. Trying to go to FCW, maybe. (laughs) I might might regret that a little bit. Um, I mean, I don't regret that. Like, you know, you, it's easy to to say all the right things as far as like motivation. Like, you got to go out and chase your dreams. You got to, you know, do the work. You got to do this. You got to do that. But like, you know, I mean, people fail, man. Like, I don't regret that at all because a lot of that carved out a better performer I, I know i became a better businessman for one like um because every year since then and every everything i've gone through I, i've always made smart decisions as far as what i wanted to do and made it work and and you know obviously i have a roof over my head now and and like at the time it was, it was different um but i mean i don't really regret anything like i loved going to the dojo at a young age and go, moving to Mexico. And I, I chose to come back from Mexico early. Some of the other guys stayed there. And, and I remember thinking at the time, maybe that was a mistake, but coming back early got me into ring of honor earlier than they mm-hmm. did. So I was in ring of honor year one, I was in TNA year one. So then right. I wouldn't have been doing, you know, pay-per-views at 19 years old if I didn't make that decision. Yeah, so there's a lot of yeah. stuff, you know, you know, I, you could regret it, but I mean, it's like back to the future. You know, the, the you lesson it. in it is that you could go back and change anything to try to make your future better. But, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, the the journey that you went on was that you were meant to do every piece of it. So, you sure, know, I wouldn't yeah. I, I would I probably wouldn't change anything. Yeah. Some things are just meant to be for sure. Yeah. So um, we like to tap into mental health on our podcast as well. We like to speak about 
struggles on the road, whether it's for WWE. We, we usually focus on WWE because they usually have the toughest schedule, 300 days a year. How right. would you say your mental health was on the road? Was there any struggles? Like, what would you say about that? Um, I mean, it. I feel like a good a good comparison. It like I sympathize a lot with what uh, like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant speak on it a lot. The mental mm-hmm. health of NBA players and the microscope they're under and the pressure they feel and really like the type of outside pressure from people because we it's 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 such a different generation now than than any other time in history sure, you know yeah. now like you know our social media like okay you show up to work and like especially when i was first getting to wwe a lot of flack young guys would get is setting up their playstation and stuff in the locker room mm-hmm. <laughs> but it took a few years for people to realize especially like the, the older guys and i'm i'm technically an older guy like i there other than maybe jericho and undertaker nobody in that locker room was really have been doing it longer than me and mm-hmm. just look younger. And I guess I am yeah. young for, for the amount of years, but like I had an interesting perspective being between them. Cause I had more years than most, but I was also young enough to relate to what was going on. Right. And I use this example because it took a few years for like the old heads to kind of accept that, well, this is just what playing cards was to Andre. Mm-hmm. You know? Us setting yeah. this up, like me and Kofi yeah. playing Madden, is Andre and Randy Savage playing cribbage or whatever, you know, that's just, that's just what they did. That's the game they played. This is the game we played. And Mm -hmm. then same thing, like, like a lot of younger guys, they'll get a lot of flack for being so caught up in social media. And that's really what I think the, the, the fulcrum in all this is, is social media. Toxicity starts from there. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the reason that's unique is because it took now, I, I feel like people are starting to understand, at least as far as the profession goes, that, like our Twitter, our Instagram, that's our newspaper, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're like Andre Hogan, these guys just sit down in the locker room in 83 and they'll play poker and they'll read the newspaper. Mm-hmm. For us, we play NBA and we read Twitter. That's read where Twitter. we're getting our, mm-hmm. our news, you know? And just like with newspapers, you know, there's, you know, propaganda and, you know, half-sided bias reporting is that's just where we're getting what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. The difference is, is the newspaper isn't a two-way window. Social media is. And right. I think that's what makes it so different is, is like, you know, a lot of older generation people, like they don't understand when a, when Kyrie or Kevin Durant are like trying to kind of open, like break that fourth wall for everybody to be like, look, like look at the outside, from outside the box, looking, right. look at the microscope we're under. This is why we have such poor mental health and, mm-hmm. you know, and so, so like weak emotionally. And older generation people in whatever team sport or walk of life or whatever, like usually like some sort of entertainment or touring thing, like they're like, well, back in our day, you know, it's like, <laughs> like guys were tougher, but it's like back in your day, you didn't have that two-way window. You didn't have that, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Actually, like, so, oh, sorry, I just want to say, it's actually kind of funny that uh, you spoke about having PlayStations and stuff in the locker room. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed that, but like, like when you said that, it's actually so relatable because I'll be completely honest with you. The way me and Daniel were preparing for this interview before this, we were we, we were reading our notes. <laughs> oh and we were my playing, god! We're playing WWE 2K19. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. That's the goat yeah. one, by the way, too. Everyone, yeah, everyone downhill at 20. So I'm glad I made it. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, but I really I think that that's really 
that that's kind of the thing so like being you know in, in you know in my experience being there like that's what makes it tough you know mm-hmm. like for me i don't usually like i'm not i'm wired to not get nervous about things or mm-hmm. to necessarily have anxiety generally speaking like mm-hmm. it, like most of the time i'm i'm pretty steady-handed with with anything sometimes right. it, it's it's to my detriment like i'm kind of a cold person at times because it's mm-hmm. like you don't even not not only do you not get excited or nervous or stuff it's like it's almost like you don't even connect to you the stuff you're doing exactly. that's this is how i was wired like for better mm-hmm. or worse but even being there like at times like you know the, the pressure gets really stressful just because of like how you i don't know it's just there's a natural way of getting stuck in a tug of war between thousands and thousands of strangers and bosses and like coworkers and things that mm-hmm. are faceless you know like you, yeah, you, you're, sure. you're working amongst faceless peers at times you know and yeah. bosses that you don't you're that are faceless at times mm-hmm. not voiceless but faceless so that makes it tough you know can't yeah, you can't yeah you can't you can't hit an opponent that you can't see you know what i mean like so it's hard to solve problems <laughs> yeah you know so when when you get you know it's it's a it's a very unique atmosphere where you kind of feel a little bit crushed by everything because of that for um, sure but yeah um speaking of mental health and stuff um i watched Chris van Lee's interview back to what Vikram said um you said in a past interview that you were making more money now working all these like indie dates and work for Japan and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You make more money now than you did in WWE. How has that shocked you in any way? Are you surprised how they treated you um, now than they did before? Uh, you mean as far as like freelance wrestling? Yeah. Or um, no, the thing I think for me is just like I hadn't really been free and like on the indies in so long. Mm-hmm. so for me like the last time i was really like like a bonafide indie guy was like 2009 2010 around then because mm-hmm. like 2012 13 i was um back in ring of honor for a couple of years then in tna for four years and i did mm-hmm. that mtv lucha show for a couple seasons before those two so it's like i had like you know excuse me between 15 and 16 i had maybe six months between tna and wwe where i was free to do whatever and i kind of took a i was really choosy i basically just did evolve and some mexico stuff and i I didn't Mm -hmm. really do the indies so in last year you know 2019 like back in 09 and 10 like that was the last time i was really on the indies it's a very different place (laughs) like indies are so different now distribution for the shows is different there's all this there's a lot of like digital outlets (laughs) for it Mm -hmm. merchandising is turned guys into these like independent entrepreneurs and and, like there's you know um people have like you know patreons and channels on twitch and and all kinds of different stuff and like youtube blogs and like all these things that they monetize Mm -hmm. and so i you know it, the indies was not like this like when i was last in it and it certainly wasn't like it when i first started back in 1998 i mean it's so different so sure um so for me it wasn't really a shock how i was like treated as far as like it being good i just like i was kind of learning how to be a wrestler all over mm-hmm. again because <laughs> it wasn't like this um, right but yeah i mean I, I did better than i thought i did better than you know the the last few years that i was in wwe but that 
Uh, I think people misunderstand that. I think they think that that's the case because maybe like WWE was compensating super low and that's not the case at all. Like I, I did really well there. Mm -hmm. I just was surprised at how much better I was able to do when I could pack my own schedule, which, you know, it, it it mostly just validated the reasons why I kind of wanted to get out, you know, Mm -hmm. like I was already kind of not happy, but like I, I felt professionally that maybe it was a smart thing to do to kind of have my own options. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, seeing all the changes and kind of learning how to re- learning how to be a wrestler all over again. Um, yeah, that that's really sure. what the what it was about. Yeah. Um, you said uh, you went all over the world after. Um, so traveling all over the world and what was your what would be your dream match like right now? Who would who would you like pick as an opponent? Um, every time somebody asks me what my dream match is, I always say the next one. I've never really been one to have like a bucket list of things like that. Mm-hmm. I've never looked at another person like that. Like I like that. Like there's I someone guess. higher, right? Yeah. Like I've never, I've never looked at anybody like that. I mean, there's guys I really like and there's, mm-hmm. and obviously there's guys that are heroes of mine or whatever. Um, in my case, none of my heroes are wrestling anymore. So some of them aren't alive anymore, <laughs> but, um, but you know, I mean, I probably like, I think, I, I tend now to to go with maybe Ray, you know, because he'll be done soon. Mm-hmm. And I would love to to I, I've wrestled with him in a tag before, and I've met him. I know him, you know, a little bit, and he's somebody that I've always looked up to. And especially like knowing him on the back end of his career, he's, he as a professional, he became sort of a model for me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started, I was super small, so he was a model for how I could carry myself. But eventually I kind of outgrew that and, you know, started looking to others as far as like in the ring, but outside of the ring, as I got older, I started to see like how great of a model he was for young wrestlers to manage a career Mm -hmm. and, you know, to manage themselves outside of the ring. And, and so I've always looked up to that and I just, you know, he's become so timeless and he's such like, you know, you wouldn't always have put him on the Mount Rushmore of Lucha Libre, but now it's like, how could you he has to and, exactly and, yeah and and to yeah. be to have been alive for that transition like to for him to be like the michael jordan of mexican wrestling is that's yeah. pretty yeah it's awesome to pretty see dope. so like i i would love you know to to have one more with him sometime if ray's watching this what would you say to him <laughs> <laughs> um time for a call you, out yeah if uh <laughs> if you hang it up say one more for me uh, and I'll, I'll save one for Dominic when I, before I hang <laughs> oh. up. <laughs> oh, my God. His boy is really good, man. I, I love yeah. And, and I, I got to see him a lot. Like, before I left WWE, he would be on the road a lot. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think that they have such an awesome, like, connection. And his, his, yeah, his relationship with him is, is so great. And I think mm-hmm. he, his, his, his kid is going to be so, so good if, if he continues to apply himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he, he's got a great future in this business, it seems like. So, the Cruiserweight Championship, it returned in 2016. Ever since 2016, we've seen you with the title, Brian Kendrick, Rich Swan, uh, Pac, Enzo Amore, countless guys, Leo Rush. Who would you say, in your opinion, besides yourself, of course, <laughs> had the best title reign? Ooh. I mean... I don't know if I would have said me anyway. Um, my I might have had the best 
climb, but um, I'd probably say maybe Cedric. It felt like it reached a point where he was – it felt normalized. Like Mm -hmm. the the title didn't feel brand new anymore, and he was wrestling a lot of different dudes – um and he seemed like a like like the perfect model for that position i think a lot of guys would have went with Pac. i i love love wrestling Pac. um i just think that when you build a brand new group of guys around one person it becomes problematic because now everybody's first introduction to the people is we're all losers except for this guy (laughs) so it's like yeah we're having great matches but from a storytelling point of view and a narrative point of view all it does is make everybody not want to see anybody but him but they want to see him with other guys because of Mm -hmm. how awesome he looks beating everybody else so i felt like that was like um like i wish i could have wrestled Pac more without the title involved if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. Yeah. Like I loved having him in the division. I hated how the stories we had to tell because it just felt like every a lot it was doing more harm than good. But I think by the right. time it got to like Kalisto and Cedric, it had, they had kind of gotten away from like building the show around one person like Pac or Enzo. And Enzo's another guy. Like I I think he's he's incredibly talented. I love working with him. I love being around him like in in locker rooms mm-hmm. and stuff. He's he's generally a very positive dude and, and a smart guy. But I think when they had the show built around single people, like it made it so isolated, you know, and we already had trouble not being able to interact with other characters on the on the other shows. So it's like Mm -hmm. we have to give them something. So I felt like in the beginning, it was better that nobody had it for too long. By the time it settled down, I I felt like Cedric had probably the best position on it. Yeah. Uh, Um, Speaking of that, um, I think you guys should have been more featured on like wrestling like uh normal raw wrestlers like seth uh, rollins and chris jericho like that would have been pretty fresh you know what i mean like yeah yeah i so. mean the, the, like i from a system point of view I, f- I think it just came came across as broken because of the segregation between us and the rest of the guys mm-hmm. normally if a guy comes out of you know nxt or fcw whatever it is deep south whatever the ohio valley whatever it is you know you get mm-hmm. a guy like say elias you know they debut on raw they're gonna a come up by themselves so they're not sharing the spotlight mm-hmm. um two they're immediately gonna work with a guy like say jericho mm-hmm. so you're immediately jumping on the mic against jericho you're sliding in the ring and attacking jericho you know something like that so you're mm-hmm. going with somebody that has all this emotional equity with fans right. And, you know, generally you don't lose the first thing out of the gate. If you do, it doesn't really matter. But, if, you know, when you when you beat that guy, you just beat somebody that people have been watching for 10 years. Exactly. So now you get to go on and share that with other people. And we were the reverse. We were 10 mm-hmm. guys all coming in at once, <laughs> like arm in arm. And nobody's mm-hmm. seen any of us. And we're not debuting opposite of a Jericho or somebody like that. We're debuting opposite each other. Right. So it takes more than a few matches for people to understand who you are for sure but yeah. so that's that's why i think that that f- making the show built around one guy so quickly ended up hurting that and i mm-hmm. you know it just it flips the the it flips the the formula inside out you know right monday night raw 1993 is a great example of our show because it's a like a one-hour show kind of a small roster but you know, it didn't hurt Sean or Lex Luger or guys like that to lose to Brett. So you can build mm-hmm. that roster around a Brett Hart. It's fine because right. they don't lose. They don't. They're, they're familiar with all these guys. Macho Man can lose to Brett. That's fine. 
but any of us lose you might not see us for a few months and mm-hmm. that's the only thing the fans saw is we lost in six minutes on a raw that's like so yeah that's that's a tough thing to do so mm-hmm. you know I, I wish we could have got more multi-man stuff where everybody was you know more evenly distributed nobody would really hold on to the title for too long just so mm-hmm. that people can really get used to who we are and start picking their favorites you know like disney characters or marvel characters like oh that's my guy i've seen him do this in a few matches that's my guy like Mm -hmm. we just it took so long to get to that point sure yeah yeah absolutely uh could you see yourself signing with wwe again or could you see yourself possibly signing with aew i mean i'll play for whatever team wants you know wants (laughs) me to play um you know uh i just I guess, yeah, it would just come down to what their needs are and what, you know, I would, you know, what position I would want to be in, you know, mm-hmm. I guess is, is the best way to put it. Like, I've never been somebody that was like, I've never been starstruck by a logo. You know, mm-hmm. if I was a baseball player, I, I wouldn't, I'd listen to the Yankees as much as I'd listen to the Orioles. Like, it doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't not go back there i would love to go to aew that's fine too um but it doesn't really matter to me i mean just having fun and 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 and, you know making a good living is is what matters most to me it doesn't really matter where that comes from um i guess the difference between that and most guys like for me like buzz and clout is zero part of the equation Mm -hmm. that i literally don't care what like how popular the team is uh play for them if, if, if it meets the criteria of me having fun and then why main, not main, yeah maintaining some freedom and making good money i, I don't care it yeah. doesn't it does not matter to me what place you're in in the standings <laughs> uh, I mean, as long as you're happy right so yeah matters. i mean I'll, I'll 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 jump on board and help you win the games that's it uh, it doesn't matter <laughs> to me where you are for sure um Speaking of your epic journey to where you are right now, what got you into pro wrestling? What was that one moment that made you go, okay, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life, you know, no matter what anybody tells me? What was that moment for you? Um, I don't know that I had any one moment. It's just um, my just earliest memories. Yeah, my earliest mm-hmm. memories with my dad are like when I was two, three years old, I was watching Saturday Night's Main Event and the old uh, 80s WWE and WWF at the time, the old yeah. logo flying over the water and like, you know, that generation with Piper and Million Dollar Man, Jake the Snake, mm-hmm. Hogan, Warrior. I was a big Hogan guy, you know, big Ultimate Warrior guy. Um, it just was something that I, it was the only thing I was interested in. And I mean, by the time I was pre-teen i had already just assumed that that's what i would do someday there was really never one moment where i was like i gotta do this i just oh like that's all i knew growing you up just knew man yeah yeah like i if if i when i was like five six years old i'd probably have a hard time picking disney characters out of the lineup i knew they were disney but i'd i'd you're just not, like you can't yeah, yeah like I, I i just i didn't retain that mm-hmm. from an entertainment standpoint like i knew what it was i was entertained by it but i just didn't stick with me wrestling mm-hmm. always did so for whatever reason, I just always knew I would do it. You just knew it, yep. Well, yeah. Um, we just want to thank you uh, for joining us today. Um, it was a short interview, but you know, thank you for taking the time out of your day for joining the Dropkick Podcast. And uh, my pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me.
Um, we we yeah. play this game with everybody, so you have to use one word or one sentence to describe ten wrestlers that we name off our list. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, Triple H. Entrepreneur. Brian Kendrick. Eccentric. William Regal. Uh, classy. Hawk. Headstrong. Enzo Amore. Passionate. Vince McMahon. Genius. Ace Austin. Motivated. Kodo Ibushi. Quirky. <laughs> Zack Sabre Jr. Diligent. Mustafa Ali. Um, plastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where can everybody find you on social media? Um, all my, I, I don't have a whole lot of different socials. I'm, I'm not a good enough entrepreneur in that way yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got an Instagram and a Twitter. Um, uh, both are at Mega TJP, and then uh, if if you uh, I, I started streaming again on Twitch, so my Twitch channel is the same thing. Also at Mega TJP, uh, I I had a uh, uh, merchandise store up on uh, my own my own website, which had a touring schedule, but now there's not much of a touring schedule for anybody, <laughs> I guess. But um, but I merged it with my Pro Wrestling Tees, so if you go to Pro Wrestling Tees under TJP, you could find uh, uh, all the Detonation Kick stuff and a lot of merch stuff. And which, merch yeah, like it's right there. I, saw <laughs> I, was, I was hoping for you to notice. My, yeah, my old, uh, uh, my old uh, Wolves Rancid shirt. Um, yeah. So, I actually um, met you at Smash Wrestling last May. Yeah, that's okay, when I yeah, caught yeah, this yeah. off you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much, uh, everything I got going and, um, and yeah, you could find me, uh, on impact wrestling and, uh, and also going forward. I mean, when everything's back to normal with, you know, new Japan pro wrestling as well. Well, thanks for taking the time, man. 